Good morning. Looking for my stopwatch. Just a time. Typically can tell. I hear, I hear tummies grumbling and I hear, that's generally my, uh, it's either the tummies grumbling or the, the kids crying. I know, oh yeah, it's time for me to wrap up. But just in case all that fails, in case you came in with full bellies, and in case the kids are like just thriving in there and, you know, having just an amazing experience in our wonderful kids ministry, Lord of the Flies experience, uh, then I know that it's time to wrap up. Welcome to Reunion, guys. So glad, so glad you're with us. Um, come expectant and believing that God's got something for you this morning. Um, I hope that's why you've come as well. Um, that would be an appropriate uh, uh, response, I think, to getting up in the morning. <laughs> Nathan's laughing. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, uh, I think it's, it's a good thing to um, come and gather and worship and, and get into God's Word together. Um, recognizing, man, like, I think, I think Jesus wants to show me something, um, and he wants, he has something for me. Am I missing something? Why, what, what's so funny? Something behind me? Oh, yes. I say, I don't even hear it anymore. I seriously don't even hear it, um, which is a gift to have. And so, uh, but all that being said, um, so we're going to be taking a pause on our Living Stones conversation that we've been having for the past several weeks. We'll be back next week with Mark. He'll be um, preaching on passion. But, but, but um, what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to kind of just pivot a little bit. I'm going to preach um, a, a word that's really been on, on my heart, preach a message that's been on my heart that I also think is uh, very, very timely for our community. And so instead of like, feeling like, oh man, this is a hard left turn for those that have been following along with our Living Stones conversation, conversation based on the priesthood of all believers, that this would just feel kind of like a timeout and for us to just kind of talk about and address something that the Holy Spirit's doing right now in our church. And we always say we're, we're committed to the, to, to the leadings of the Holy Spirit in this church. And so when, when the Holy Spirit calls us to either divert from the plan or take a time out or to stop doing something, we want to be people that are obedient to that. And so whatever the way the Lord's speaking, we want to be a, a community of people that respond in obedience. And this is one of those mornings where it's time for us to respond. It's time for us to be obedient. It's time for us to talk about um, something that's going on in the life of our church um, and, 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 and not like as a way to like boost fear or worry or concern, but to respond in faith and to respond with expectancy, um, believing that God wants to do something in the midst of our community that's remarkable, that God wants to do something in our community that's miraculous. And, and, that's, and that's my heart this morning. That's where I'm approaching. That's the lens that I'm coming at. This, 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 this community is God's church. And when I say that, I'm saying a lot of things, but what I mean by that is that this, this community was not Jesse's idea or my idea or Nathan's or Casey's or anybody's idea but God's. God called us into this. Um, he, he gives us the pleasure and the joy to um, be stewards of his plans and the things that he calls, and I, I'm just ecstatic to be used by him. But that doesn't mean that everything's going to go accordingly to plan, does it? Has anybody's life in here gone accordingly to plan? Nathan? Oh, can we talk? I have whatever, whatever you're eating, whatever you're drinking, I want that. Um, but, but what's fun about life is I think um, even though a lot of us like to maybe follow a predictable path and we do all we can to strategize and plan and come up with family values or whatever it may be, part of the adventure in life is, is responding in prayer and responding to that and, and stepping in and believing that God has got something, right? 
Um, and so, so as much as we enjoy our plans, as much as we enjoy good seasons, um, there are times where there are difficult seasons too, right? And, and in fact, those are the times that shape our souls. Those are the times that God moves. Those are the times that unif- unification happens. Um, just in my marriage, this has happened before. When we went through um, a, a difficult season that was, as we look back, it was really, really good. Um, and so before I share that story, can you think of a difficult time in your life, a difficult season that you went through? Um, and all, all you wanted to do, I don't know what, I don't know what, what's that? Bunches of them, yes. The older you are in here, the more you'll have. And so uh, hopefully, I think. Um, but in that difficult season, um, have you, did you feel like you just, all you wanted to do was just run away and get out of it? Like if I can just get th- away from this, if I can kind of just run and hide and just not get out of bed this morning or just hoping that this thing would just go away, God, rescue me from this difficult season. Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself wanting that? I think, I think we would all say yes. Maybe you're thinking about different seasons you've been through where that's all you wanted. But most likely that's just not the way that God operates, is it? Um, as much as we may want those things. I can think of a time, just kind of a silly story. We're not really silly. It was defining for Jesse and I. But uh, God, we believe, had called us in 2008. Jesse would be my fact checker in that. Um, to pack up our stuff. We were newlyweds and to move across the country to central Pennsylvania. Have you guys ever been to central Pennsylvania? Well, you have. Because, yeah, you have. Our parents have. Um, and they... They would have you guys. Would you guys ever have gone there if we didn't live there? I should say no. Um, but it was a real exciting season for us because we were fresh out of graduating from college and knew we were called to full time ministry together. And it was always hard finding like a church that believes in um, um, a, 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 you know uh, a married couple doing ministry together. It's always kind of like hire the husband or hire the wife, and then you get the other one for free. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. <laughs> which is horrible. Um, and this church was the opposite of that. They're like, we're looking to hire a dynamic, I think it was on the resume, where I'm like, are we dynamic? A dynamic couple that wants, that like has a calling and a vision to do ministry together. Both will be on staff. Both will receive paychecks to run our youth ministry. And we're like, we're reading this thing. We're like, this is us. Like, let's apply. Let's see what happens. And, and so we did. And within like, I think a few days, they were on the phone with us. And I think it was within two weeks, they had us on a plane out to central Pennsylvania. And then within like three weeks, they were like, we want, we hire, we want to hire you. Can you come out now? We're like, oh my goodness, you know? Um, and, and we said yes. And I can remember our parents were like, yay, behind us, but like, are you sure? Um, and we're like, yeah, this is, this is something that we want to do. We, we grew up in Orange County. Um, we know what this is like. We want to get out of here, Right. And so we excitedly packed up a box truck, and we moved and went there. We're excited, got into this beautiful house, living on cloud nine, and then reality set in very quickly. Within about six months, we're like, what did we do? <laughs> like, we're, I, I have never experienced, if I can be quite honest, depression like I've experienced there. I, can never, I have never experienced loneliness like I did there. Um, feeling isolated. Um, we, we've never had issues making friends. We've never had issues there. Couldn't make any friends there. It just felt like nobody, it was just something wasn't working. And we would have family come out, which was nice. We kind of always worked it with like almost every two months, it felt like 
somebody was coming out. And that, to be honest with you, was the only thing keeping us motivated to stay there. As soon as some people would leave, we're like, hey, when's the next person coming? And, and there was, so that was the place that we lived. Jesse and I have never watched TV more than we, we did there. Nothing to do. Rush hour meant like horse and buggy. Amish people were coming through. That's seriously where we lived was Amish country. Um, and within about six months, we're like, we've got to get out of here. Like, we got to run away. This is, too, this is just too hard for us. And we both felt like the Holy Spirit just said, not yet. Stay. This is, this is, where, this is where I have you right now. And we came into that situation ready just to set, like, just set a, a youth ministry on fire. We're the Orange County people, you know, like they said they had a beach that was really like a stream where like, we actually have a beach. Um, and so we came ready to kind of save the day. And to be honest with you, that was the, that was made it very clear that that's what the church had in mind, too, was that we would be that couple that would save their youth ministry. Um, and good things happened there. But but we ultimately decided, no, we're not going to run away from this. And we ended up staying two years, um, just about two years in central Pennsylvania. We knew this wasn't forever. We knew that this isn't where we're going to be. We, um, if anything, what it did was reunite and reinvigorate a vision for Orange County and a love for Orange County that we just never had before, the people, the culture here, recognizing how much the gospel is needed and realizing how far away Jesus is from the minds of many people that profess him. And so we knew this is a place that we felt called to and we would get back here. And thank God we did. But in that moment, nothing, we wanted nothing more than just to run away and to hide. Because I think in that moment, I think a lot of us, if we think about seasons like that, we can believe the lie that difficulty means God forsaken. Seriously. This is why so many people find themselves in a hard, difficult circumstance and think this isn't good because if, it, if it's good, that means God's in it. But if this is hard, that must mean God's not in it. Where that has just not been my experience. It's actually been in the times of difficult seasons in my own life, and maybe you would be a witness to this yourselves, that it's in those difficult seasons that God makes himself known. It's in those difficult seasons where the shaping happens, the molding happens, where faith is being built up, where we are at the end of our rope, and we're like, oh my goodness, are we even, we can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel, and then in God's time, he shows up. And you realize, oh my gosh, look how big God is. Look how good God is. Look how much God is in control. And I've just come to learn over the years that faith can only be be built when there's some kind of withholding happening. Now, withholding may seem like um, punishment. (laughs) It's not. When we talk about withholding, we're not talking about God punishing his people. But what we're talking about is God actually leading his people into a season where they want nothing more than his presence. Isn't this the story of the Israelites? He kept them in the desert till they were thirsty and hungry. And it took them over 40 years to get there. When I was just reading commentary, it should have only taken them in that journey if they would have really went a couple months to get there. Instead, they wandered for that amount of time because God was doing something in them. And this is the way still God operates today. Uh, even looking through the totality of Scripture and the through line, right? We thought we could think about from the Old Testament to the New Testament where God was speaking. Then there was 400 years of silence. There were 400 years of, of really God withholding something to, cre- to create some sort of hunger, to create some sort of longing for the Messiah. 
And then Jesus shows up. And people are hungry and they're thirsty for the presence of God. And, and when we think about our lives and we sense this time in, in our community, speaking for our church alone, I sense that God has us in a place where he's wanting to build a faith muscle within us. Where he's happy about the work that's happening here on Saturdays. I think he's ecstatic. I think every Saturday we open up our doors and teen parents come in. And yesterday we launched a class, a teen parent class. I think angels are rejoicing when we do stuff like that. But you know what I think that God wants to do more in our community is yes, he celebrates the things, the good things that we're doing. But he also looks down, I think, at our community and says, I want to do more. I have more for you. But you can't operate in yourself. You can't operate in your own strength. And I think it starts with me. And this message is going to be very vulnerable. I'm just going to let you guys know. I, I am somebody that's like, let's go serve. Let's go do something for God. That's faith expression right there. But a lot of times we can do that with good intentions and we can tend to kind of just leave Jesus back this way. We're doing it in the name of Jesus. But I think, I think Jesus is calling us and taking us into a season where he wants to take us deeper. And he's calling us into something that requires no strategy. It requires no marketing ploys. Dear I say it. It doesn't require um, any type of vision or like coming back to the drawing boards, filling up a wall with stuff and being like, okay, let's execute this great plan. You know what this season entails? I'm convinced of prayer and fasting. Genuine hunger and infatuation for Jesus. Getting to a place where I, I, I want nothing more than him. I'm deeply in love with Jesus. And until we get there, we're going to find ourselves in this season of just eh, stuck, doing great things, but feeling like we're kind of, for me, is like hitting my head up against the wall. almost like bang, 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 where it's like, I want to get through that wall. But as long as I'm trying to do it in my own strength, I'll never get through that wall. We actually need to just get on our hands and knees and be people who fast and pray and ask Jesus, come and manifest himself in our land, to come manifest himself in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in my own life, and so that our faith and our eyes will be lifted up to him. So a passage I've been spending, I think Nathan has too, we've been doing this together, we talked around about this at our elder meeting, is Psalm 23. I've been spending, this is like the only place I've been in for like the last three weeks is Psalm 23. Um, you know Psalm 23, it's the most recited passage in the entire, entire Bible. I love it for a lot of reasons, but the thing that's been standing out to me the most here is how this song written by David is really a song of faith, right? It's a song of faith. And I want to I read it to you. We'll have it up on the, on the screen. Um, but it's David, he, he's, he's standing in a place and he's recognizing the season of life that he's in is extremely difficult. And instead of letting that season, don't miss this, dictate his faith, he's letting his faith dictate the fruitfulness of a season. Right? So he's not coming at it. He's not looking at his life. He's not looking at his world and seeing his difficult season first. He's looking at Jesus. He's looking at his relationship with God. And he's letting that worldview give him some perspective and vision into his difficult season. Are you with me on that? It's perspective as much of our faith. If we look at it the other way, we're going to have a difficult time growing and understanding Jesus. 
But if we look at Jesus first, this is what David has to say about it. Here, let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. In a sense, he's going, gosh, things are pretty rough, but I got everything I need. When was the last time you declared that to Jesus? I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of my rope, but I've got everything I need. Typically, I'm like, God, I need this, I need this, I need this to get me out of this place. That's not what David says. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. In the Greek, that word enemy would actually just be translated to difficulty, difficult season, um, opposition, something that you feel like is kind of blocking you or getting you in the way. That's not because he was about to go to war or anything like that. And he's got enemies that are looking to kill him. An enemy is strictly a difficult circumstance. He says only, verse six, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I want to focus on one verse here. Um, uh, and it's verse four. This is what he said. You probably caught it. It's one of the most familiar verses here. He says, even when I go through, depending on your translation, instead of the word go, it'll say walk, right? And so same thing, same, same meaning. Even when I go or even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Scripture couldn't be any more clear on this. How do you navigate difficult seasons? You go through it. You walk through it. You keep going until you're through it. It doesn't mean you have to stay in it. He doesn't say, even when I stay, right? He says, even when I walk. And, and so what he's, what he's encouraging his people, he's encouraging the people of God, is yes, you will deal with difficult seasons. The worst thing, and I don't recommend this, David says, is to spend your time running away from this. Just run away, avoid it, pretend like it doesn't happen, sweep it under the rug. He's not saying, sit in it, you know, let it consume you, woe is me. He's saying, keep walking through it. Keep your eyes forward. Recognize that the stuff's happening around you. Don't look behind, just keep moving forward. It just means, this is what he's saying, I don't, and I, I, I don't want to be the type of person, like if, you, if you're watching me and you're watching the way I live and you're like, man, Mike and Jesse are really having a difficult time with the kids right now. I just, Mike just seems to be a person that just wants to avoid it all. Like he's absent-minded at home. Like he's pretending like everything, he's just, really, he's just being consumed with work. Like work is an escape for him. It would be a bummer if that's how you perceived me, to be someone who just avoids difficult seasons in light of something else. I don't want to be that type of person. I don't want to be that type of Jesus follower. I, I, it doesn't matter if it's my career or family life, but even in my faith, I would rather be somebody who is able to keep walking through something that understands the difficulties, that understands uh, the trials, that understands the temptations, that understands I got some fear. I don't know how this is all going to happen. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep walking through it. I'm going to keep my eyes up. I'm going to stand tall with confidence that believing that this is where God does his best stuff. And according to David, this is the best way to manage the fear you feel in your life. 
is to keep walking through it, to keep going. Because, because I think fear grows exponentially in avoidance, whereas faith is built in endurance to keep walking. And so Psalm 23, again, I already said, is the most recited scripture of all time. It's probably recited at funerals right now all over the world. Um, and, and it could be kind of a somber, you know what I mean? You know, like, where I read this and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is actually like a faithful song. This song is actually meant to like spur us on and give us hope and to recognize that God is doing something when we least feel like it. When we don't hear him, when we don't sense him, when we think he's rejected us, when we think he's looking at everybody else but me. Like this is a song that's supposed to bring us back to reality. Like, no, 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 no. God has not forgotten you. He's just calling you into something where he wants to stretch you a little bit and build something in you, namely faith. But all that to say, I think since it is so popular and it was during the time as well, that it's possible that much of the New Testament writers had memorized this psalm. In fact, they, they memorized it. I think it shaped theology for our New Testament writers. And I think there's numerous passages throughout the New Testament where I would believe that they were actually looking at Psalm 23 or thinking about Psalm 23 as they're writing the gospel narrative. There's, there's a lot of through lines and a lot of similarities that we'll see in New Testament, in gospel, that pertains to the message that David's writing in Psalm 23. One of those passages, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, is, is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. You probably heard it. Listen for the through lines here. Therefore, since we've all had, since we, let me start over. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance. That word hindrance means distractions. That uh, means things that aren't important. Don't, don't be someone that focuses on the unimportant, right? So lay aside things that aren't important and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that he lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy laid before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Talk about somebody going through a difficult season. What was Jesus' approach to a difficult season? What was Jesus' approach to walking through the valley of death? Endurance. Despising it. Keep, he kept walking forward. Jesus is our example. And so you can see some similar through lines in this passage with Psalm 23 and how to navigate difficult seasons. But what I love about this passage the most, most is that the author, which by the way, we don't know who it is and that frustrates me a lot because I mean, that would help us. Why haven't we figured that out yet? They just haven't. They, scholars. There is some speculation about who it is, but it doesn't matter apparently. Um, but but he, sees, he sees an issue, the author does, with all of humanity here. And this is obviously Holy Spirit inspired. Holy Spirit is putting this on the author's heart, but he feels or she feels a need and wants to address it. And I think it's this, that our eyes tend to wander off of Jesus from time to time, don't they? And our eyes can start to look at other things that are, we feel like are more important. Um, our eyes can start to look at other things that, that, that are all things other than Jesus. That will eventually start to hinder our souls and will start to weaken our faith. And so the, the plea here from the author of Hebrews is to recognize that 
to recognize that where your eyes look not only hinder and jeopardize your soul, but it also weakens your faith if those things aren't Jesus. So his plea is very, very simple. Uh, and it's very, very challenging. Just look at Jesus. I don't care what you're going through. I think, I mean, in, in all loving matter, in all sensitivity and compassion to your situation, but I think, I think the author is saying, you almost don't have a right, Jesus followers, to look anywhere else. Like, you've professed faith in Jesus. You believe in the resurrection. Why would you even want to look at anything else? Why would you think that anything other than Jesus brings you life and fulfillment? Haven't we learned this already? You can almost see this little pep talk, right? And this is why I think Jesus, in a sense, showed us that difficult seasons aren't all that bad. Because something miraculous happens in them, in them, namely the resurrection. Yeah? Holy moly, church. Yeah. The resurrection. Not just for Jesus, but for you. Right? For me. Life happens from these things. And so, so he says, don't, don't look at other things. Those things may not be bad. It's not like you're looking at things that are bad. It could just be your career that you look at first or a relationship with somebody or you just really want to make, make more money or you just want need, I really just need to focus on paying off my debt. Or, or you just, your kids are a distraction. You hide behind your kids. That's tempting as a parent, right? Or image or popularity. We can go on and on and on about the things that our eyes can look at and we can prioritize before Jesus. Not all bad things, but here's what I'm getting at. Jesus wants your eyes to be trained on him above all else. He wants your full attention each and every day. Not because he doesn't think that nothing else matters in your life. He does. Jesus wants you to be successful. That is not um, uh, uh, a message that I think we should not share in the church. I don't think that's prosperity at all. That's all we preached it would be. But I genuinely believe God blesses people. <laughs> this is what he does, right? He'll bless you. So he wants you to be successful. He wants you to be debt-free. He wants you to be in a thriving, godly relationship. Jesus wants good things for you. We all agree, right? Good. But he knows what's best for you too. And he knows that your, your health, the health of your soul and the strength of your faith matters more than all those things. And that's what Jesus is up to in our community. He acknowledges the things you have going on. I, I see you're busy. I see that you've got this, all this stuff going on. But I, I love you for those things. I, I think they're great. I've gifted you for them. But I care more about your soul. And I care more about your faith than all those things. Do you care more about your faith in me? Do you love me more than those things? Jesus is saying he does to you. But do you love him more than those things? And it's when our eyes wander and where they get focused on other things, that our lives, I'm saying this from experience, can start to unravel a bit, can it? And it can spiral, and things can get so out of control, and then we get in this place of avoidance or distraction, and all of a sudden we're like, I am God? Jesus? Church? Yeah. Because we've ended up on a path 
that just is going away from him. He's not going away from us, but we have steered the ship away. And so it's when in that point that I feel like Jesus would then come up and say, hey, our souls can begin to fill with darkness. These are his words. Matthew 6, 23, 22 verse 33, which we'll have on the screen. I'll have to turn there. But this is the most famous chapter of collection of talks, messages, sermons that Jesus ever gave, right? And in that, he's, he's on a mountain, obviously, Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking to his disciples. And this is what he wants to say to them. His disciples, his followers, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. What's Jesus saying? What you look at really matters. And I think the author of Hebrews is thinking about this too. We'd like to believe that he was in the presence of Jesus. She was in the presence of Jesus. We don't know. But he's, they're echoing the words of Jesus here. And so my appeal to you is this, moving forward. Would you look at Jesus at all times? Would you search your soul? Would you search your faith? Would you be okay kind of going through just that, that season where you may have to just strip back everything? Look at your priorities. Start with looking at your calendar. <laughs> the way you spend your money. The way you spend your time. The way you extend yourself to people. Is Jesus kind of just over here? Or is he everywhere? And, if, if, and here, here, here's my sense for, for us, but I, this is my concern, I think, for the church globally, is that when we, look, we read passages like this, you've heard, you guys, raise your hand if you've heard Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 before. Look, you've, most of you have heard this, right? And so we hear it, we're like, yes. And then Monday hits, <laughs> Right? And the first thing we think about is what we've got going on that day, depending on the time of the month, the bills we have to pay or whatever. How much food's in the refrigerator? This is my life, right? Where we forget. And, and what our faith and what we, what we have in danger, by the way, when we leave this place today is this. We're in, yes, fixing my eyes on Jesus, and we're like here, and then all of a sudden, like, we're there. And we start looking at other things so quickly, and then all of a sudden, we find our, our eyes in a rhythm of this. We're just glancing at Jesus on Sundays, Right? Like, I'm looking everywhere else. My eyes are down here. They're on my situations, all my fears, my failures, my, the bills, the amount, the debt I have, my career, who I got to fire this week, who's, not, who's underperforming, whatever it is, whatever your situation is. And then all of a sudden, Sunday comes, we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, okay. Okay, right back to my situation. Right back to my circumstance. Do you see how exhausting that is? It's not life-giving. Faith then just becomes a duty. Or just a reminder that happens. And so many Christians walk their lives and their relationship with Jesus just in that place. I don't want it. I'm not interested in it. I want more for you. I would rather your eyes just be fixed on Jesus. You're staring at him all week. You're looking at where he's involved in this circumstance. What's Jesus want to say about this? I'm so frustrated with my coworker. How like, can I love them right now instead of being frustrated at them? My plea to you is that you would be fixated on Jesus. And so we are, we are in a season as a church where I think it would be beneficial for us to be on the same page with this. Because if our eyes start to wander, if our eyes start to look at other things in this, 
and we start blaming other people or we start uh, coming up with excuses why things are a certain way, then, then that's where things can start to unravel for a community. But if we are committed and we stay together and we're like, we're all want to just look at Jesus and see what Jesus has to say. And we're going to do it through prayer. We're going to do it through fasting. We're going to do it through worship and communion. If anything, that would be thrilled that this is your approach. This is our approach to as a community as we're stepping into a difficult season. And you're like, what is this difficult season? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> And, and, and what I want to say in this is that the only way I know how to talk about this, if you know me at, for any extent of time, for those in here that don't know me that well, I overshare. I'm an overshare. Um, I, not because I'm just like, I like to overshare. It's just who I am. Like, I don't, I, don't know how, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to lead. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to be a dad without being transparent. And so I, I'm just committed to that. I'm committed to transparency, and I do run risk of saying too much. I do run risk. I do run, I run risk. I run risk. <laughs> but if, for those of you who've been a part of this community for a, a number of times, you know this is, just, this is just how I know how to live and this is how I know how to lead. Um, and so we, we are in a season where we need God to move. We are in a season where we need God to show up. Again, this is not a season where we go back to the drawing board and start strategizing and start doing all this stuff we are in a season that's completely requiring us to fast and pray and ask for the miraculous in our church so that we can do what God's called us to do. I firmly believe that this, 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 the, there, there are many, 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 many more years that God has plans for this church. It just comes down to whether or not we as a community will stand up and walk through in faith. That's, I believe, I think most church, we, we just hit three years which 90% or maybe higher don't make. They don't make that mark. We've already passed it. That enough is like gratitude. <laughs> like we've already done something that 90% of other churches just don't do. We, we've already come to this place and we're already stepping into now year four, but we're not through anything. Like we still are in an extremely vulnerable, fragile place as a community where we simply need a move of God. And if God doesn't move, we're through. Like, reunion can't keep going. It will not go unless the move of God happens. Does that make sense? Not to say God hasn't moved. I think he wants to move more. And he wants to do more. He wants to take a lid off our community and take us into a new place. Give us new heights. New people. Uh, more land in our city. Maybe more land in a new city. We don't know. Through church planning, whatever it is that God wants to do. But he has more for us in this. And so we, we know we did not choose uh, the prime city to plant a church in a sense of uh, what church strategists would say. We essentially, what the, this is essentially what you call a parachute church plant. Okay? That means um, there's no relationship with anybody in the city you kind of just showed up with a group of ragtag people and you just said, let's just see what God does. That's exactly what we did. No offense to our uh, pioneers that went with us. I think we're all ragtag. I am. You're mad about that? Okay, we're done. <laughs> but it, we, we just kind of showed up and we're just like, hey, if God's in this, he's going to provide. And, and we laid it all on the line. We moved into the city. We put everything out there. We put all of our chips in the middle. 
And, and when we were starting to do this, there were people that I would, that would sit down and have coffee with me. Other churches, other pastors, whoever would say, don't do this. Do you, do you, do you know the challenges of Santa Ana? You, do you, Mike, do you know you're white, first of all? And I'm like, what? Like, I, I'm just being honest. Again, I'm very transparent with you. There were people that tried to talk us out of doing this. People told go home. Play in Huntington. You do that, your church will double overnight. And I'm like, <laughs> but I don't feel that call. I feel like God has assigned something to us. And so we did it. We've been here believing that God has something for us, that he wants us to love this city, not change this city, to love the people in this city. We've seen this as just a ministry opportunity, right? Like there's, we have said there's ministry opportunities on every corner. If I think if Jesus all of a sudden showed up in Orange County, I think he would be spending a lot of time in Santa Ana. Not because the people are bad or anything. There's just a lot of strongholds. There's a lot of hurting, broken people. And that seems to be the people that Jesus associated with. And so uh, we believe that this is where God is. And, I, and we, we came believing that there's going to be a, ro- a revival in Orange County, that there's going to be an awakening in Orange County that I think we're already seeing signs of, by the way. One of those is the unification of the church in Orange County. The churches are working together more now than they ever have. Um, there's a deep hunger. I think there's Christians being awakened to their, um, their Sunday morning faith. There's, there's an increasing awareness of more and more and more and more. And anytime you see a culture go post-Christian, in a sense, the terminology is the tide goes out. What happens when the tide goes out in the ocean? It comes in just as fast. And they call that tsunami. And so instead of us being in a place to like be worried about post-Christian culture, that's actually in history when revival takes place. And, and so for me, I believe that Santa Ana is the epicenter of this, that I think, I think revival, I don't know when, I'm not, I'm not you know, I don't know when that's going to happen. I hope it happens in my lifetime, that revival is going to come to Orange County, and I, I believe wholeheartedly it's going to start here in Santa Ana. And I just want a piece of it. I just, I just want to be where God is. I, I, I don't want to be someone that misses it or got scared, or it got hard, and we left. Like, I want to, I want to be in it. Um, not for me. It just, I, want to be, I want to be where God is. <laughs> I want to do what God's doing. But there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of plowing the field that needs to happen before any harvest can come. But God has this here. And so, we can't do it in our own power. We need Jesus. And this is time where faith is arising within us. Am I scared? Yes. Yes. I'm scared. Uh, it's not just Jesse and I. It's, this is a community of people that are here with us. You know, like, you hear our kids in there. Um, they're not, they love this, they love this church. They can't wait to come here on Sundays. They can't. They love it when people come into our home. The ways that their faith is being shaped, I'm like, yes, I'm scared. I'm scared that I'm scared that the end is near. But I believe God has so much more, and so I'm I'm not up here trying to sell anything. I'm up here saying we need a move of God, and it's specifically when it comes down to it. Yes, it's your faith. It's my faith. That's where I want to see it happen. But it's also very specific in the area of our finances. Um, a, a majority of the reason why churches can't make it past 
the season that we're in is because of finances. Um, not because necessarily because they're being irresponsible or living without their means. Um, that's some of it. Um, but that's not our case at all. So before we, we get into that and talk about that, and I don't, I, and what I love about when I just said finances, you know what I didn't sense right there? The air, like all the wind go out of the room. Typically when you're like church, you like say, we're going to talk about our finances, and it's like, <laughs> all everyone's breath just, hold, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh no, this is going to be really awkward and painful for the next 25 minutes. That just, that, I want to just draw attention to that. That did not happen in this room right now. Okay. Um, there was there was the lean in that just happened. There was like, oh, okay, what what's going on? How can we how can we how can we join this together? I want to affirm that and acknowledge that just right now. So practical rhythms before we even talk about our our state of our church is this, and this is what I would invite anybody that calls this church home in, because God is building a faith muscle. Okay, uh, God isn't He's not just saying reunion needs to be more generous. That's not what we're talking about here. God is building a faith muscle first and foremost. My number one plea to everybody in here is that your faith in the next eight months would elevate in Jesus, okay? And, and here are some practical ways. Reunion groups. We Obviously, this is a no-brainer. We do these every week, but not just weekly attendance, weekly participation. Huge difference, right? We say it on here on Sundays. I, I'm not interested in being a Jesus follower that just goes to a gathering and spectates. Like, I want to be a full participant in this thing, right? That's what our prayer and worship is. Same thing with our groups. I come ready to bring something to the table. I come ready to be used. I come with a plate of food. I come with a drink. I come ready to pray. I don't just come into group being like, woe is me. If I'm there, fine, and I need people to surround me, that's beautiful. But I come ready to participate. The next is prayer. This is getting more specific. I'm calling our church to spend at least five minutes a day praying for this church. That's it. Maybe that's too little for you. Great. <laughs> Do more. Pray an hour. You know, like whatever it is. Put a time in your calendar and specifically set, put your phone away, turn the TV off, go get in a quiet place, close your door, go get in your car, whatever it is, and just spend five minutes a day at least on your hands and knees before Jesus, the risen Lord, clean and contending for our community. Next is Fast. We're going to be fasting one day, a 24-hour period a month as a community. And we're going to specifically be doing it as we head into prayer and worship nights. For a lot of reasons. God's been moving in our prayer and worship nights. Those that have been would say, yes, is this true? Um, or I, I would want this to be a time where everyone's coming with expectancy. Everyone's coming ready to participate. But like, what better way to actually come in like out of fasting, praying, if you're fasting literally, literal fast, coming in desperation, coming with a deep hunger for God, something like that. And so fasting and using that 24-hour period to pray, to be in scripture, to be holding each other accountable, to be checking in with people, all kinds of things. We'll talk, we can talk more about what that looks like. Does it make sense? Cool. The third would be then prayer and worship nights once a month. The next one's November 21st, right here. And we'll get it out every month to you. We'll let you know when it's coming. Make it a priority to be here. And, and come into that space having fasted. Um, and the next is communion. Very, very practical. We're going to have communion every Sunday um, after the message. Simple, simple declaration. All churches do that? Yes, but like we want to be more intentional with it, okay? And, and for the specific discipline to literally go and keep my eyes on Jesus. It's a reminder 
This is like, okay, yep, my eyes have been glancing other places. Boom, Jesus. The symbolism there. And then invitation. Who can you invite into our community? Like this isn't just for us, right? This is for other people. Um, increasing the, 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 the spirit of invitation in this community is central in this season for us as well. And then lastly, generosity in your time, your talent, and your treasure. So there's a, there's a whole lot of ideas there. Um, I invite you to step into all of them. If you can only do a couple of them, great. Like wherever it is, I know everybody here may be in different seasons um, in life, but, but like this is my plea and this is my ask as we go until we hit the end of our fiscal year, which is the end of June. And then we just get to watch God move and see what God does. Doesn't this sound fun? I think it does. Again, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna unleash any new strategy plan or anything like that. We're just gonna fast and pray, okay? Um, okay, let's transition. Um, I don't, again, I don't want to feel like to make this feel like a hard left turn. I just don't know how to do this any better. So, um, uh, we we are um, in a financial uh, hard spot. <laughs> we are in a difficult position as a church. And so, um, uh, again, the air did not come out of the room. That was very good. But, uh, but for us, um, as we talk about faith, we need to address it with faith in our finances as well. Okay, because we can't just give God, like, I love that's why the song we sang earlier, you can have it all, right? Like, we're easy to give God the things that are easy to give, but it's hard to give God all the things. And we know in our culture, and especially with our young generation, a lot of us being the same age here in this community, um, is that just finances are hard. Instead of giving God our first and our best, we just give God the leftovers, if anything at all. And we need to shift our thinking, and we're going to be spending some time unpacking this and teaching, having conversations about this. But, but I don't think anybody would be surprised to know that a church, our church, can't do the ministry without finances. There is a cost that goes into this community. Um, and it's just, the way, it's, just unfor- it's just the way it is, right? Like, um, and so I don't think anybody here would be like, wait, what? I don't think you'd be surprised by that. Um, and probably every week you kind of come in, you're like, the lights are on, everything must be going well. Um, and we talked about it at our family meeting last July that we had a reserve, that there was money there. Um, we had a savings account. But over the last five months, three months, that has we've been dipping into that drastically. And so where we are at today as a community, if things don't change, if God doesn't move in our financial situation here, um, we won't be able to make it to the end of our fiscal year. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that to like instill fear. I'm saying that to build faith. All right, we get to watch God move now. And I just want to, I want to make something clear. What the enemy is going to want to do in this is bring fear or is, um, or, or say, oh, no, this church is talking about money. I'm out or whatever it is. He's going to want to, he's going to want to cause you to lean out. The Holy Spirit wants you to lean in. Okay. And so to unpack what this looks like, I'm going to invite our favorite person up in the world, Casey. Give it up for Casey. I didn't. I went very long, so. But it was awesome. Good morning, everybody. I've had too much coffee and not enough food, so I apologize for any jittering. Um. Okay, so I want to start off by saying thank you. And I know we say these words every single week, um, but I don't want the significance of that to get lost. Um, So thank you to those of you who give to Reunion, because we would not 
I thought I wasn't going to cry. Not going to cry. Um, we would not be able to be here without the generosity and the sacrifices that you guys have made to be generous. Um, and we said at the beginning, we want to be a church that practices radical generosity. And you guys are that church. Um, you guys are radically generous with your time and with your talents and with your treasures, like Mike said. Um, and God has consistently provided for reunion through our community. Um, another way that he has been providing for us has been outside donors. Um, we talked about this a little bit at our family meeting, but for those of you who aren't, weren't here, um, as you're planting a church, you don't, you don't have an internal community yet. You're building it. And so you don't have people who are part of your church body who are tithing to support the ministry. Um, so five years ago when Mike and Jesse had felt the call to Santa Ana and to church planting, um, they entered into this fundraising process and um, they worked really hard and we were really, really, we've been really blessed as a church by the work that they did um, before we started even thinking about like, where are we going to meet? How are we going to do a church service? What does this look like? Do we have a leadership team? They did the hard work and tilled the soil for a long time. Um, so we've been really blessed because of that. Um, but there's a really important shift that has to happen as you're a church plant that's growing up um, and that those outside donors are going to begin to fall because that's just the process. Five years is a long time for somebody to be giving to something that they're not a part of every week. Um, so the hope is that as those outside donors fall, that the inside community picks up that slack. And the idea is I like hopefully that happens simultaneously um, so you aren't feeling this kind of clunky speed bump. Um, and that's kind of where we're feeling ourselves right now in year, year four, heading into year four. Um, so in July, we came to you guys with our projected budget. And in the church world, you kind of have to make an educated guess on what your year is going to look like. And especially as a young church and a young church that has had three years that have all looked very different because we've been um, getting to step into and experience a lot of different ministry opportunities. Um, and so we created this budget this year, um, but based on our best educated guess. Um, however, in our first quarter, which is July through September, um, our giving, and I'm going to use the word income, and I don't like using that word because it feels really technical in like a church setting, but it just makes sense in my mind. Um, but our income fell shorter than we anticipated. And so this means that for the first few months, we've been operating at a deficit, like Mike mentioned. Um, and we recognize that if our trends don't change, if our expenses aren't lower and our giving isn't higher, that's setting us up for a trajectory that we're just not comfortable with um, and would leave us having to make some more serious adjustments at the end of our fiscal year, which is June. Um, so I have a fancy graph because um, if I show Mike a spreadsheet, his eyes just cross. So, um, okay, so this is looking at our first quarter. I wanted, like Mike said, like, our whole leadership team, we just lead from transparency. We don't know how to do it any other way, so we want you guys to get to have all the information. Um, so the gray bars are what we projected as far as income for the first three months, and they're the same. We projected across the board the same. Um, the greenish bars are our actual income. So if you look at July, you'll see we just didn't make as much as we thought we were going to through giving, and then our July expenses were really high. And to be clear, I want to talk about that because um, – because we started our church in a July, every July is going to be more expensive because we have a lot of like annual startup fees that happen. And we've like planned ahead for that to even out throughout the year. But just know that that was expected. Um, and we were about $500 over budget that month. But the following two months, we were under budget with our expenses. So this was all like what we had planned. We've stayed within what we like our mean, our planned means were. Um, 
but you can see that that creates between that green graph and that um, pink one that creates kind of a pretty significant difference. Um, and then in August, you'll see that we had um, an even lower month. And so August was really when we started paying close attention and thinking like, okay, these are trends that we're seeing and that we're not super comfortable with. Um, we're really encouraged with where September's income was and like the health that um, we were seeing, but we also recognized um, that's still a, a, a pretty significant deficit and one that we're not comfortable having every single month um, because of where the trajectory leads for our church. Um, so we decided to revisit our budget. So we did that the first, we kind of waited to see what all of our first quarter looked like. And we revisited the budget in um, the first week of October and we made every cut we think we can make from our expenses. Um, but we realized even with that reduced budget, if we continue with the same average giving we've had for this first quarter, we're still going to be operating at a deficit. Um, and again, we're just not comfortable with that trajectory that that leaves us on. Um, and to be clear, when I say that we're not comfortable, I want to make sure that, um, like Mike said, like this is not just about money. And I think if you spent any time around reunion, you know that like we're not motivated by the money. Um, and this is because we care about reunion. We care about the people that call reunion home. This is not just about the finances. So this is a way of stewarding and caring for our community. Um, so this is the fun part. Um, our projected deficit with our reduced budget um, from now until the end of our fiscal year in June 2020 is $40,000. Um, we're hopeful that through generosity, we'll be able to close that deficit. Um, that breaks down to an additional $5,000 a month in giving that we would need to close that deficit. Um, I understand if that number sounds really daunting, um, but we believe that God's in this um, and that um, he's been in this from the beginning. We've seen him provide for us before, so um, we're ready to lean into the season. Um, and we think it's a season of growth and, like Mike said, spiritual disciplines for our community. Um, and one of those is tithing uh, as a part of generosity. So I have another fun slide. Um, so this is kind of a breakdown, like I was talking about, like that inside-outside donor um, dichotomy. Um, the one on the left is from our fiscal year last year, so that was June 2018 to, Ju I'm sorry, July 2018 to June 2019. And then this is our first quarter of this year. Um, so as, the most important number here, I think, is that um, that number that says inside reunion giving consistently is 18. Um, so that means that for the first quarter of our fiscal year, we've had 18 people who call Reunion Church home who have been giving consistently. And that's not to say there haven't been other people giving, but those are the people who are actively um, tithing um, and giving consistently, whether it's through auto donation or going in and doing it every month. Um, and as we processed this and these, this information as a board, we realized um, this conversation fits in so well to this conversation we've been having as a church of um, living stones and that we're all called to participate, that each one of us, um, God desires our participation and we're all priests and priestesses in the kingdom of God. Um, we believe that each person who is at reunion is here for a reason and God desires your participation in ministry spiritually, physically, and financially. And like Amy said last week, which was amazing, um, this is not about comparison between ourselves or about the outcome. Um, the heart of this whole conversation is participation in ministry. And we believe that um, everybody who calls Reunion Church home is empowered to carry the mantle of ownership in our community. So our call is to see the number of people who give consistently to Reunion, who call Reunion Church home, to double by the end of the year. 
by January 1st. Um, we're praying that through this step of faith and generosity in our community, we'll see our giving increase um, so that we can be sustainable and that we can um, live within our means as a church. Um, and Michael talks some more specifics, but um, I just want to reiterate again that this is not necessarily a conversation about money, although it is. This is a conversation about discipleship and stewardship of the community that God's built, um, that we've been blessed to be a part of, um, and that God's entrusted this church to all of us. He hasn't entrusted it just to Mike and Jesse. We're all called to be a part of this. Um, so I think that's it for my spiel. Thank you, Casey. Is she wonderful? Keaton, is there anything you'd like to say? Keaton is our sitting treasurer. Isn't that a fancy, Ooh. fancy title? If you don't have a treasurer in your life, you need one. If you don't, Keaton will be that person for you. I would be happy to be your treasurer. And I'm a standing treasurer at the moment. Um, um, I just wanted to affirm um, our community for the faith that we do have in Jesus and the ways that um, he's moved through our lives individually and as a group. It's just shocking um, to see what he's done with so little. You guys, our budget is basic. It is baseline. It's it's simple. And it's so neat to see the amazing, amazing things God has done with, our, with that. Um, and just to think how much is going to be coming um, in the next months and years for reunion. Um, I can only really reiterate what Mike and Casey and all of us have been saying. Um, more than anything, Jesus wants us to let go of what we can see and to cling on to him. And in spiritual discipleship, that includes um, includes everything. It includes your money. It includes your um, food. It includes your stuff. It includes your titles, your prestige, and, and any accomplishments. It's not about God has all the money in the world. He doesn't need us to give our money. He needs us to let go and to let him work through all of our lives on a daily basis. Um, you know, we get to form that in our lives and in this community and invite people into it. And we get to do that with our kids, um, our cute, rowdy, loud kids in the next room. I, I'm going to teach them some finances soon. It's going to be great. Um, not really. Um, count your goldfish. Um, but really, uh, I'm just so impressed with what the Holy Spirit is doing here. Um, and really, it's not about money. It's um, It's about what Jesus is doing. And it's about... Um, letting him work through all of us um, and to build the kingdom. That's what this is all about. This is not about a fancy budget because it's basic, but it's about the wonderful things that Jesus is doing um, all the time through our simple offerings and accounts. Every aspect of our um, spiritual lives matters, including this one. Okay. We're just going to keep – Nathan, was there anything you want to add? Uh, sure. One. Okay. You guys are doing okay. Are you guys all right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm very sick. I'm not very sick. I'm a little sick. Um, so I'm sorry. I just sound nasally. Uh, as Mike was talking, uh, um, uh, a verse came came to memory for me. It's from First Samuel. It's if you don't know the story, it's a, it's a wild story of Samuel being called by the Lord. And without getting into like many of the specifics, I love um, how Samuel responds when he realizes that it's God talking to him. I think a lot of the times in life we hear these voices and we're like, I'm not sure if this is God. Um, and what Samuel does is he changes his posture um, in front of God. And that's when God calls him into to where he has him. And his posture is very simple. It's six words. Um, it's 
speak for your servant is listening. And and that's the posture that I, I want us to, to go into into this season. Um, speak your servant is listening. Um, and I, I believe uh, that God has many big things for this church. We've, we've uh, uh, met too many times in the past three weeks um, as, a, as a team. And uh, I've left with I've left each one with great faith that God is doing um, an amazing work in here and he's not done with us. Um, and that there's more to come. And I'm excited to be there and partner with each of you in that. Um, and then if you have any questions about what that looks like, um, the disciplines that me and Claire, we've, we've been praying through this week that we want to take on, the places that um, uh, specifically for us uh, that we could be um, uh, more physically available, more spiritually available to what God has for us, um, and also more financially available to, to what God has for us. Um, I'd love to talk with you about what we're processing in our life and we'll continue to process this week. I'm not saying we have a, we don't have a worked out plan fully yet, um, but we, we want to be open to what God's doing. And so, and, and we want to partner with you guys in that. So come hang. Thank you, Nathan. Last, certainly not least, I've invited and asked Kit Ray to come. Um, Kit is a dear friend uh, to us and he sits on our elder board. Um, uh, as a church, um, Kit is also the campus pastor at Rock Harbor Costa Mesa, so he has um, uh, chosen to be with us um, and left his community behind. I hope this has been fun for you, Kit. But uh, Kit um, took took Jesse and I in very early, and they are ascending church and allowed us to come on staff at Rock Harbor and sent us out as a church plant and still very much loves this community and believes in this community. So I asked Kit to come and to share some um, uh, some words of encouragement, and then also any type of um, uh, uh, words of challenging. Uh, I say right now, but just just come and say what he wants to say. And so, can we thank Kit for coming? Yeah. Thank you. First off, dude, your hair game is amazing. <laughs> I have no game, and so I'm like, geez, oh, it's amazing. It's just the beginning. Oh, wow, wow. Um, hey, let me. I, I want to start by affirming um, Mike and Jesse. Um, probably about three weeks, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, um, got to have breakfast with them up up in Tustin. That's where me and my wife Gina live. And I just want to let you know the integrity of him and Jesse, um, their care and love for you uh, in this community, and their willingness literally to sacrifice everything. Um, those were the conversations we were having. Um, was paramount and literally. My heart was swelling at our breakfast, but I've been sitting in that back corner going, you've got to be kidding me. There's a group of people um, in Santa Ana whose hearts are breaking for the city, whose hearts are breaking for each other. And your leadership team, more than anything, is saying, yeah, there's some financial concerns, but I want you to hear your leadership team is calling you to Jesus to say, hey, Jesus, you got all of this. We, we know it's not by mistake that you have called us at this time in this season to this city to do this with each other. And, um, and so I just want to affirm you and Jesse and just bless you guys of going, man, this is beautiful. Um, I, I don't know if there's anyone new here this morning, but oh my goodness, to be led by a leadership team. And this includes you, Nathan, Casey, Keaton, the whole crew of just going, man, I'm so proud to get to join you guys. And so, um, I want you to know a few things. I want to share a few things, and then I'm all, all in. But um, it's it's an honor for me to serve alongside of each of you. But I also want you to know there's a church just you know a few miles down the road um, called Rock Harbor um, that is cheering you on. 
um, is standing with you, not only in prayer, but we want to even stand financially with you guys in this season, just to go, man, Lord, what do you want to do in and through this season? And I, I just want to share this because I, I think it's important. I was planning on sharing something else this morning, but I was literally driving here saying, Lord, what would you have? I shared this a little bit with the leadership team earlier. Um, but there, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's a little story, but I think it's pertinent to where we are this morning. Um, I'll be really brief. Um, it's in Second Chronicles. I know you probably always read Second Chronicles, as, as do I. Um, but it's this. Um, king Jehoshaphat, he was um, a king over God's people. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in a really um, tricky situation. Second Chronicles 20, if you want to go and look at it. And um, all of a sudden, they wake up you know, in the morning, and they look, and they're like, oh, my goodness. We're surrounded by three different armies that actually want to come in, invade our city, plunder our city, and, um, and leave us in ruin. And even as I was thinking about that this morning and praying in the back, I'm like, okay, here we are. We're a gathering of God's people in a city that we know unmistakably God has called us to. I think of even the, the ministry that's playing out of this building that we're in. God has called you guys here. I remember before this church even started, walking the streets of this city with Mike and Jesse and praying that God would do a move here. And I'm like, no, no, no. God has called you guys to this city. And yeah, we find ourselves surrounded by some circumstances, some situations of going, okay, maybe it's finances. Maybe it's where do we go next? Maybe it's, man, we want to grow and invite more people. And we're, we're surrounded by some, some circumstances that we want to invite God into. And um, what I love was, dude, it's, it's not strategy. It's not all these things. It's, Lord, what would you have? And in, it says this in uh, verse 12, um, he prays this prayer, and then I, I love what he says. He goes, for we have no power to face this vast army. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I'm like, dude, that's exactly what you preached this morning. This is crazy. Verse 13, it says this, then all the men of Judah with their wives, their children, and then I love her, it says, and their little ones. So like every generation, four generations, gathered together, and it says they stood there before the Lord. And you know what they did? They kept their eyes on him, and they inquired of the Lord. And I love that. The men, the women, the children, and then the little tiny ones. When we were praying this morning, they were like crawling everywhere, you know, in pre-service prayer. And I just think, man, the beauty of a congregation, a community coming together, say, Lord, we want to inquire of you. We feel surrounded. We feel a little stuck. We feel a little scared. What would you have? And here's what's cool. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you guys, but they pray, they inquire of the Lord. And then it says this in verse 21. It says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat, that's the king, he appointed, he appointed men to go out and sing to the Lord and praise him for his holiness. And so they went out ahead of the army. And so practically what they did, they said, hey, all the big buff dudes, all the fighting guys, all of our warriors, we want you to go to the back of the line. Um, all you worshipers, Tian, you know, everybody, can you go to the front? You know, go Tian. And so, you know, so the worshipers go to the front, and they're like, that's how we're going to fight this battle. That's how we're going to fight this battle. We're going to fight it with worship, and we're going to fight with thanksgiving, and we're going to fight it with acquiring of the Lord. And this was, their, um, this was their like marching cry. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And then if you skip to the end, um, it says this, the fear of God. And, oh, I forgot to tell you the, how it ended, right? So they go out in the morning, and God says, go up on this hill. And they go up on the hill, and they sit there, and they watch. And those three armies started to argue with each other. They got in a fight. They all killed each other. And literally, they all fled. And God said, hey, 
I want you to worship. I want you to lead with the way. Would you allow prayer and thanksgiving to lead and watch what I do in your midst? And they didn't even have to raise their hand. They got to watch God work in front of them. And literally, as I was driving here, I was saying, I believe that is going to happen in you as a community of, yeah, you're going to have to inquire. Yeah, you're going to have to get on your knees. I love there's a call to pray and fasting. There's going to be a call to stir up faith in the midst of this, but I just believe God is going to work in the midst of this. And here's how it ends. It says, the fear of the Lord um, came on all the surrounding kingdoms that were around them when they heard how God had fought against their enemies. And then in verse 30, it says this, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for God had given them rest on every side. And I just want to share with you this morning and say, man, can we stand tall in faith this morning? Can we say, God, these problems, you can deal with those. But, but our call, our eyes, they want to be fixed on you this morning. And so I know the leadership, as we were talking, we were going like, yeah, we, we want to see faith stirred in this community, even as we were at breakfast. The main thing that me and Mike were talking about was not about the finances, but was about faith of saying, God, would you do something at this time in our midst as a church, as a community, and we want to see you work. And then practically, there's, there's some practical just next steps we want to take in this of saying, God, would you stir faith in us? Here's one of the crazy things. Faith often, so many times, is tied to finances. For another, another day, I could share my story. The amount of anxiety and fear and arguments and all that stuff that I get, get in personally, but then also with my spouse, Gina, is often around finances. You open the scriptures, Jesus always is talking about finances. And you want to know here's why? We love to accumulate. We love to gather so that we can feel more secure, so that we can build our own kingdoms. And the reality is this, God hasn't called us to build our kingdoms. God hasn't called us to gather more so we can feel secure. He's saying, actually, hey, would you consider dropping everything so you can build my kingdom? Would you consider dropping everything so that you can actually be secure in who I am and be about my business? And I believe the, the purpose and the direction of this church is about building God's kingdom. The groups you live in, the ministry that the church is involved in is about building his kingdom. And so I do think there's this weird tie between faith and finances. And so we had talked as a leadership team, say, hey, we want to invite you into a practice. What you're not hearing this morning is a number specifically that it's like, we have to raise this, that, and the other. It's like, yeah, we know what those numbers are for sure. But the invitation this morning is say, could we inquire of the Lord? And then could we lean in with our faith and our finances? And so there's a simple practice that we want to invite you into over the next 60 days. Is that all right to go into this? And um, it's going to come up on the screens. And um, I, I love this. It's a practice of generosity, saying, God, we just want to be a generous people. We want to lean in with faith. And I don't know where you're at in your journey of faith and finances, but um, we just talked about three different things. And you can see the first one on the bottom. If giving has never been part of your practice, that's awesome. And I think there's an invitation to say, hey, would you start today? Would you consider maybe a, a first step? And so we just want to make it as practical as possible. But it says this, would you consider giving a dollar a day? If you attend reunion have never practiced generosity, start slow, try it on. And guess what? God's going to speak to you in the midst of that. He's going to speak to you there and going, oh my goodness, I'm way more attached to my finances than even I thought I was. 
Or, ooh, we're having a wrestling match between me and the Lord. Lord, and you see that the finances are just going to direct you to him and keep your eyes on him. So a great starting place. Another one, increase maybe your monthly giving by 2%. If you're already regularly giving, if that's been part of your, your normal rhythm, the invitation is, hey, would you consider maybe leaning in a little bit more? Asking God, inquiring of him, saying, hey, is there a greater part for me to play? And then um, the top one. It's just um, commit three acts of radical generosity. And honestly, I see that one more as a game. Just saying, God, what would you want to do in and through me, um, in and through my family, in and through our marriage, whatever it is. And so God may inviting you to give above and beyond in the next 60 days. And maybe just ask him to highlight, hey, are there three ways that I can live radically generous in these next 60 days as a church? And honestly, that might be within these walls in some radical generosity. It might be an act of radical generosity to bless the city of Santa Ana. We have no idea. And we're not even narrowing it down to that. We're just saying, Lord, we know you've placed us here to build your kingdom. And we know when we give regularly to the church, guess what? It builds God's kingdom. It's not giving it to Mike and Jesse. It's not giving it to pay for the goldfish crackers that we serve in kids ministry. No, I know. Yeah, We do. Every church does that. (laughs) When we give, we are building God's kingdom. And I believe the call that Mike is giving this morning is just saying, man, we want to see faith tied to our finances, and and God's going to do something in the midst of that. And so for the next 60 days, November and December, we want to lean into these practices. And we're even calling it, you know, just a practice of generosity because we want to try it on. You might fail. That's fine. It's not about the money. It's about faith. And so we want to try it on and experience this as a church. And so um, I, I know we're going to end with, with worship. Um, could could we um, just pause and the mic will come up, but um, I would love if we could just inquire of the Lord. And so um, I know we don't have all the little ones and the kids in here, but we can do this together. And if you've ever been to Rock Harbor, we do this. I don't know if you guys practice all the time, but we oftentimes just put our hands in front of us um, just like this. And I, I just want to invite you to do that, just to open your hands, maybe close your eyes. And I, I'm just going to ask that God would speak, and then I'm just going to leave a little bit of quiet for Mike to come up and the team to come up. But I would just ask, would you ask the Lord, Lord, what part would you have me to play in this? Where do you want to increase my faith? What does generosity look like in this season? And so, Jesus, you're so kind to us, and you are the head of the church. And so we want you to lead. We want you to lead this conversation. And Holy Spirit, we want you to speak to us this morning. And so right now, as our hands are open, we want to inquire of you. Where are you stirring within us? Where are you speaking? Where are you moving? Where are you inviting us to be part of building your kingdom? And God, for some of us, it might be about finances. For maybe others of us, it's not about finances at all. But for all of us, it's about faith. It's about the work that you're doing. So Holy Spirit of God, would you speak? Would you stir within us? Would you move? Trust you, Jesus. We trust you. So just take a moment. Maybe listen, maybe speak, maybe just receive. So we love you, God. We love you. Speak to us.